Galatians chapter 5, if you would turn there with me, that's where we're going to be picking up today. It's in the New Testament. It's a book that Paul wrote to the Galatian, Galatian churches there in that area. It was a place that Paul and Barnabas had been sent out by the church at Antioch. And he's writing back now to, the, to those believers that were there. Um, what Paul had taught them was that salvation was by faith in Christ alone. But now the Judaizers had come behind them and said, no, listen, it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus obedience to the law. And Paul has gotten word, and so he's written this letter back. And he starts out in, in Galatians 1 and 2 by sitting down and trying to, to write to them about the, authentic, about the authority that he has to speak to them, number one. And he goes all the way back to where his calling came from and the fact that he, his life was radically transformed by coming face-to-face with Jesus Christ himself. And he talks to him about where the word, where his authority came from and the fact that he got his words that he had spoke to them from Jesus Christ. Um, and then the past two chapters we've spent in three and four has basically been going back through the superiority of the gospel itself and why, why it's Jesus plus nothing else. And so now we enter into chapter five and six and we'll talk about the application of, of our faith in Christ. But I remember several years ago I was in a conversation with somebody and as we were, we were having this conversation we were talking about church planning and we were talking about ministry in general. And the comment was made to me, it said, well, we, we will be successful. We will be successful. And so, Eileen, I wanted to know, well, how do you define success? And they said, well, what we will do is we will have an awful lot of people that come and participate in our ministry. And I thought to myself for a second, and then my reply was, well, success isn't always numbers. Success is obedience. That's what success is. Success is obedience, being able to stand before the Father and say, Lord, I've been faithful with what you've given me. And Paul is writing uh, to this young man by the name of Timothy. And in, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, when he's in prison, uh, in prison, and he's writing some letters, he's pinning this letter to this young man by the name of Timothy, who was uh, a disciple of Paul's, of a young man that he had mentored. Um, and Paul is writing uh, in, in this letter to Timothy, he's, he's writing some things that Paul considered to be really important at this journey, at this place in the, his journey in life. And, and as he writes, as he's writing to Timothy, he pins out some very important words and now understanding that Timothy is now the, the pastor there at the church of Ephesus. And this is, this is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He said, I fought the fight, I finished the race, and I have remained faithful. For those of us that are Christ followers, that's, that should be our goal in faith, that I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Listen, if you are on the journey of faith, you will go through difficult times. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. You will go through difficult times. And the thing is that we, as we walk through life, that we will, we will persevere in our faith, that we won't give up, but we will fight the fight, we will finish the faith, and we will remain faithful. And what Paul was saying to Timothy there, listen, I want you to understand, Timothy, listen, don't fret over me. Don't look at my condition and where I'm at. I want you to know that I've done my best to be obedient to live as Christ instructed me to live. And for those of us here that have trusted in Christ, that's a testimony for us of what we should be shooting for. 
that as we live for Christ, that we experience the freedom in the Christ. And the goal isn't how fast we finish the race, Steve. The goal isn't how fast we finish the race, but the fact that we stay on course, remain faithful, and that we finish. That's what's important. How many times do we see people that enter into the race or think they've entered into the race and then we find them off in left field someplace down the line? Paul said, listen, don't do that. Finish the race. Finish the race. Be found faithful. Fight the good fight. And so as we look at chapters five, uh, chapter 5 today, verses 1 through 12, let's look and see what Paul is saying today to the Christians, the believers that were there at Galatia as he's writing to them because I think he's got a very important word for us on how we can stay free in Christ and stay on course. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and let's read verses 1 through 7 this morning. And he says this, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with Christ, make, make yourselves right with God or justify yourself by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. Verse 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has provided for us or promised to us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith itself expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? The question after trusting Christ, after beginning the race, how in the world do you stay in the race? How do you stay on course? Um, look at what he says in verse 1. So says, so Christ has truly set us free. Remember the past two chapters, he's been talking about this freedom in Christ and being adopted into the family. And he says, so now Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. In the King James Version, it says this, stand fast, therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And the word stand fast means uh, stako. Stako, it means to preserve or persist. And what he's using is an athletic term, and it's like um, um, two sumo wrestlers, okay, in the middle of a ring. You got two sumo wrestlers in the middle of a ring, and their goal is to try to push each other out of the ring, but nobody wants to get out of the ring because they don't want to lose. And so these guys go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that's what steadfast means stand fast, to hold firm, to hold your ground, because the goal was to remain and not get pushed off. I remember growing up, one of my favorite games was King of the Mountain. I was a big kid. It was hard to get me off the top. So I like playing that game. I like to be the good, big guy on the top, and you come at me, you know, and I'm always trying to stand my ground. And what Paul was saying here, he says, listen, so Christ has set you free. Now make sure that you stay free. Stand your ground. Don't get outside the ring. Don't run. Don't fall out. Paul was saying, don't give up, but stand firm because Christ died so that you might be free. Not that you might go back into bondage again or fall back into slavery or selfish desires or even religious practices. 
But he says, Christ died so that you could experience a relationship with him. Now stand in that. You know how you got a kid sometimes? You know, you get a, a rebellious child and they don't want to do anything. And they're just like, that's what your attitude should be. Just going to stand here. I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to fall outside the ring. I'm not going to do it. But it's easy. It's easy to get off course. You know, in a, from going from, from here to my house, there's a, there's a likelihood that I'm not going to get off course. You know, I'm pretty much a straight shot. Go right down 466, I'm not going to miss it. Now, if I go to Bradley's house, that's a different story. I could get lost on my way to Bradley's house. Um, but when you make the long trip, it's easy to get off course. When you're going to a place that maybe you don't, it's easy to get off course. We were on our way to, to uh, Tennessee in March. And, uh, you know, I had this plan. I'll pack up everything, and I'll pick up Meredith and the kids at school, and we'll leave. And it was good. It was a good plan. I almost killed myself that day trying to pack everything in, but I got it packed. And we headed out of, out of this area about 3.30, I guess it was, that day. And, and we got to about Macon, Georgia, and it started raining. So we got to Atlanta about 11 o'clock, 11.30, and it's raining. Well, by that time, everybody in the van's asleep except for me. I'm driving. I don't mind driving at night because there's less people on the road and kids will sleep during the nighttime. That's a good deal. And uh, so I got the GPS over here and I got the phone GPS over here. And then I hit Spaghetti Alley. Okay, do you know what Spaghetti Alley is? Is you got all those roads that start running together and they like you and they're running beside each other and you can't get over here. And my GPS goes crazy. And it's like going off course, off course, turn around, turn around. And Meredith is like going, what in the world is all that noise? What are you doing? You know, and I'm just trying to make it from point A to point B. And I was as lost as a, as, as a, as a golf ball in high grass. It was terrible. And it's a whole lot easier to get off course on the, on the, long, journey, on the long journey than it is the short journey. Especially when you don't know what it holds tomorrow. And Paul is saying, listen, stay on course. Stay on course. Stand firm. But if we're going to stay on course in the journey of Christ, how do we do that? What are some things that we need to be reminded of? And let's, you might want to write this down. How do we stay on course in our relationship with the Lord? Number one, don't try to get or stay right with God by our works. Let me say it again. Don't try to get right or stay right with God by our works. And look at what he says in the end of verse 1. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Or as what another translation says, or get tied down to this yoke of bondage. The yoke of bondage that he was talking about is what he'd been referring to the whole time, the Mosaic law. And it wasn't the Mosaic law that saved us. It only pointed out our sinfulness. And I love, and we say this all the time, of what Peter said there in Acts chapter 15. He was speaking to the Jewish leaders at the council. And he brought them together and he says this to the leaders, Why are we now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke or a teaching that neither none of us nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Why are we placing an expectation on them, the Gentile believers, that we ourselves can't even bear? Why are you doing that? For Christ has come to set us free. To set us free. See, it's not about what we eat, it's not about what we drink, it's not about what we wear on our heads. In the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew culture, they would wear coverings on their head as a sign of submission, as a sign of humility, as a sign of respect. But in the New Testament, Paul speaks to the church and he said, listen, he said, you don't have to cover your head because Christ is our covering. He's our covering. 
It's not whether you pray or not with your hat on or your hat off. You ever been at a baseball game or a place and people pull their hat off as a sign of respect? Listen, you can pull that hat off all you want to and pray, but that pulling your hat off doesn't make you right with God. What makes you right with God is what's going on here and the fact of what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. But sometimes we think we're right with God because of what we do instead of what Christ did. And look at what Paul says in verse 2 and 3. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. God's provision is no use to you if you think that you can save yourself. I mean, if you feel like you can obey the law, what God did on what Jesus Christ did on Calvary is of no use to you because you think that you can you can work your way in that position. It's of no use. And Paul would say to the men there that had been circumcised or those that were wanting to be circumcised, why are you doing that? What's the purpose? What's the reason behind it? Do you think that that is going to make you more right? with God. Sometimes we think baptism does that. If I'm baptized, I'll be more right with God. No, that doesn't make us more right with God. What is baptism, Sharon? It's an outward showing of your faith. That's right. It's an outward showing of our faith. It's to let other people know that I've made a decision, that I have been buried with him in baptism, and I've been raised to walk. There's a lot of symbolism, but that baptism water doesn't save us. It doesn't save us, but sometimes we think, if I can just be dunked in that holy spiritual water, I'll be okay. It doesn't work that way. That's not what it's for. And he says, if you want to live by the law, that's okay. But don't you dare mess up. Don't you dare mess up. Your religious exercises, your efforts, I'm going to tell you, they're going to only frustrate you and they're only going to lead you back to bondage. So Paul's first thought is this, don't think that you can get right with God by your religious works. Look at verse 4. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. If you think you're going to justify yourself before, before God by keeping the law, then you've totally missed the point and you don't see the significance of what Jesus did. The second thing to do to, to remember is you want to stay on course in this relationship with God and stay on course in this journey of faith is to understand this. Our self-righteousness doesn't do anything except alienate us from Jesus. Our self-righteous thoughts doesn't do anything but alienate us from Christ. Um, what he's saying is that when we put our faith or our trust in our works, what we do, when we value our works, what it does is it creates this false sense of security inside of us. Um, for instance, well, I don't do this or I don't do that, so I must be okay. I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't smoke, and I don't hang out with people who do. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a great person. And this way of thinking only leads us to pride. I mean, um, some of you have might even walked in here today. I mean, I know that you'd never do this. But if you ever look at somebody and you go, oh, I'm sure, boy, I'm glad I'm not as bad off as they are. Yeah. 
we laugh, but we do that all the time. I'm so glad that it, because we compare ourselves. I'm so glad I'm not as good, bad off as they are. You know, that Karen Mercer, she's a bad woman. I'm glad I'm not as bad as she is. And some of you might even have walked in here today and you're looking at people sitting, you're looking, boy, that man's got a lot of tattoos on him. Whew, I wonder if he knows Jesus. He's got some long hair. You know, we do, all, we do this all the time. We use that thought all the time. Look at um, over for a second at Luke chapter 18. I, I, I was reading this story and I thought, man, I, I need to read this. And if you don't make it there, that's fine. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. Um, Jesus is, is, is talking to some people that had an awful lot of confidence in what they didn't or what they did do. And looking at, listen at the parable that he reads them in Luke chapter 18, verses, verses 10 um, through 14. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by him and prayed this prayer. I thank God that I'm not a sinner like everybody else, for I don't cheat and I don't sin and I don't commit adultery, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. You ever had that attitude? Here's the tax collector standing off in the corner. Wouldn't even come into the center of the area where people were, and he stood off at the distance, the Bible said. And he says, verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and, and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. You know why he beat his chest? Because he knew he was a sinner. He knew he was a sinner. And he said, oh, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. And Jesus' response was this, I tell you, this sinner, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home justified or made right with God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our self-righteousness doesn't get us any place, but create an attitude of pride and self-condemnation. Um, if you're going to stay on course, and if we're going to finish the race, and if we're going to be faithful, we've got to understand that that attitude of self-righteousness alienates us from Christ. Be careful. Next time you look at somebody and that thought enters your mind, remember that. My self-righteousness alienates me from Christ. Not only Christ, but other people. Anybody like hanging out with somebody that's better than everybody else? I don't like doing that at all. Look at verse 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So how do we stay on course? Know Jesus, trust Jesus. That's how you stay on course, knowing and trusting. And I love this. So when we have a relationship with God and the Spirit of God is moving in our hearts, our faith expresses itself through love. Now share this with me for, for just for a minute. How do we express our faith in love towards God? What are some ways that we can do that? What? Helping others. What are some ways that our faith in God expresses itself in love? Towards God or towards other people? What are some ways? Being obedient. What? What did you say, Mr. John? Giving. Giving? That's right. Giving. What else? Faithful. Faithful. 
What else? Encourager. Pray. Our faith expressing itself in love. That's what matters. That's what's important. That's what's extremely important. So our faith in Christ is demonstrated or exercised in how we love God and other people. See, you can tell me a Christian, but I, can, I know whether or not you're a believer by what you do. You know that. I heard somebody telling me the story the other day. Matter of fact, it was this week. They, they were in a conversation with a guy that had come to the house, and he was fixing something. I think he was fixing the phone line. He was a Comcast guy. And um, this guy was telling me the story because he said it was so cool. He said, we're in the midst of the conversation. The guy's asking me. He starts asking me these questions. And he goes, man, why are you so different? And, and the guy says, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you're just different. And he goes, what do you mean by different? He goes, well, you're just a lot nicer than a lot of the people that I deal with. It's a Comcast guy. People usually when he gets to the home, they're pretty ticked off. But this guy said, well, I don't know, man. He says, uh, I'm a Christian. I knew it. I knew it. People see Christ in us. Taylor, is your, is your, is your pacemaker bouncing off? I knew it. People see Christ in us, and they see it by how we express our faith in love towards one another. You know, if, if we want to know about your faith in Christ, all we need to do is talk to the people around you. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your friends. Talk to your children. Talk to your bosses, your employees, your neighbors. Even the person that might consider you an enemy, talk to them, and we'll find out a little bit about your Christianity. We'll, talk, we'll find out a little bit about the faith that you say that you have. The law tells us how to live, but we don't need the law anymore because we're Christ's followers. And the Bible says now the Holy Spirit lives within us, and He is our God. The Spirit of God speaks to us, and He tells us how to live. The only thing we have to do is respond. What do you say, Sheila? God speaks, we respond. God speaks. Everybody do that this morning. God speaks, we respond. God speaks. That's right. That's all we have to do is respond. You know what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. It's just whether or not you want to be obedient. I know that. I know those times I put my feet down and I go, I don't want to do that. That's what you need to do. I don't want to do that. That's what you need to do. We know that. And as Christ's followers, the Holy Spirit now lives within us. We don't have to read it. The Holy Spirit lives within us and he convicts us and he prompts us. Some, some of you guys ask me, why, do you, why are you calling me? Holy Spirit prompts me to call you, to pray for you. Why are you sending me a text? Holy Spirit prompts me. And so I've learned that as in my life that as I pray for people and I ask the Lord, he prompts me. And I can't tell you how many times people go, man, you must have been listening to somebody because you don't know what I just went through. Just called a friend of mine this past Friday. I said, man, I'm praying for you. He calls me on the phone. He's, in, he's breathing hard. I said, man, what's wrong with you? He goes, you ain't going to believe this. I just got your text. He said, 30 seconds ago, this woman almost run us off the road. He said, I had to go down in the ditch across. We were going 90 miles an hour on the turnpike. And he says, I can't believe that. He goes, you got to be joking with me. You, God just didn't tell you to call me, did you, or text me. I said, yeah. He goes, that's spooky. <laughs> Respond. How else do we stay on course in our relationship with Christ? It's important that we stay on our relationship, uh, on course in our relationship with Christ by understanding, by not thinking that we can get right or stay right by our works, by not relying on our self-righteousness, because the only thing that does is alienate us from God, but also knowing Jesus and learning to trust him. 
But how do we stay on course and how do we run with freedom? How do we run with freedom? How do we not only just stay on the course, but man, just explode with freedom? And look at what he says in there in, in verse 7. You were running the race so well. Remember Paul is talking to the Galatians that had begun the race by faith in Christ. Remember that. You had begun the race. You had run it so well. In other words, you started well, but some, you're not may, maybe necessarily running the race so well right now. It's past tense. Something happened. And listen, the pressure, the pressure, and I, I pinned this out this morning, the pressure of life pushes us backward towards the law. See, that's what the pressure of life and the religious expectations, they have a way of robbing us and pushing us back towards the law, not bringing us into a freedom. The marriage relationship, you'll learn this. Our marriage relationship, the, the, um, the natural tendency isn't to go this way. The natural relationship is to go this way. You've got to work to keep it this way. You've got to work in your relationship because the natural tendency is to go this way. And what I'm saying is this. The natural tendency in the race pushes us back towards the law. And as I was thinking and I was, I was thinking to myself, wow, I really got to push myself against that. Because we have the tendency to gravitate back towards the law. And look at what he says in verse 7. Who has held you back from following the truth? The word held back or hinder is, is a familiar Greek thought. And it's like these runners are running a race and they're in their lines. Uh, is there the Olympic Games and every one of them's got a, 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 a line or a lane to run in. And I think after the first lap or the first quarter lap, you can begin to cross in lanes. And then what you do is you take a position. You're able to, to fall in, and, and then you can switch lanes. And what Paul is saying, he says, who has held you back from following the truth? In other words, somebody has hindered you. Somebody's cut in front of you in this race. You're on the journey, but somebody's cut in front of you. Who's done that? Who's distracted you? You know, we don't find freedom by comparing ourselves to the person who's in front of us. When you cut in front, there's always somebody in front of you. And you're not going to find freedom by comparing yourselves to other people. You're not going to find freedom by looking at where you are in the journey. You find freedom by keeping your eyes on Christ. Keeping your eyes on Christ. How do we, how do we run with freedom? Look, first point, submit to Christ, yield to Jesus. We said the verse the other day, and we use these verses interchangeably so many times, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And Jesus said, man, aren't you tired of trying to earn your way? Aren't you just tired of trying to earn your way to heaven? And he uses the metaphor um, about the ox. And I was, reading a, I was reading a story this past week, and it, and it likened that the training of an ox, they would take an experienced ox, and they would place them with a, an unexperienced ox. 
and they would yoke them together. And I thought to myself, wow, what a discipling process. What a discipling process to take a more mature believer, a, a, a more mature follower of Christ, somebody that's a little bit further along in the journey, and to yoke them with somebody that was younger, somebody that was inexperienced. And they, would, they told the story that they would take those oxen, that older oxen and that younger oxen, and they would yoke them together. They would bind them together. And that older oxen would pull the weight, but he would drag the younger oxen along until he could catch up, until he could learn what it was like to pull the plow. Listen to what Jesus wanted us to see. Stop trying to pull the plow. Come to me. I'll pull the plow. It's not your job. Your job is to walk with me because my yoke is easy. My grace, my love, and the Holy Spirit forms us into the image of Christ. It's not the law. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and you'll find rest. Rest. So the first key in running with freedom is to yield to Jesus. The second thing is this, to recognize the obstacles. False teaching and sin keep us from running free. Look at verse 7. Who's held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. How many times do we think that which is harmless really isn't that big a deal? The only thing is that we understand of what's being spoken of here is that that which is small and seem harmless to start off with has the ability to bring great destruction. An obstacle, sin, false teaching. Um, in the scriptures, yeast most of, often or most always represents sin and evil. Um, and it doesn't take an awful lot to ruin it all. You remember the story about the little boy that, that come to his dad. Mom, he said, listen, I want to go to the movies with my friends. And they said, well, okay, son, what movie do you want to see? And he said, well, I'd like to go see this movie over here. And dad said, well, son, I've read the ratings on that, and it's not very good. As a matter of fact, I think I saw that it had a lot of sexually suggestive scenes in it, and there was even nudity. Oh, dad, it's not really that big a deal. It's just a little bit, you know, not that big a deal. Well, dad, I'm 13 years old. You told me about the birds and bees. Let's just pass over it. It's not that big a deal. It's okay, Dad. But then I also saw there was a lot of bad languages in that movie. As a matter of fact, the theme of the movie was terrible. Dad, it's not that bad. It's just a movie. And all my friends are going. So, Dad, I would like to go. Dad's, Dad said, son, I just don't think it's really that good of an idea. Dad, it's just a movie. A little bit's not really going to hurt. Maybe you know the story of the, that afternoon. Father never would let him go and he told his wife, he said, listen, I want you to really put on a good meal tonight. And he said, I'd like you to fix a little pan of those brownies that you always fix that are so good. And as they sat down at the table that night, son said, man, mom, this meal is really good. But dad, I'm really upset that you didn't let me go to the movies tonight. By the way, mom, what's for, what's for dessert? Any of your kids ever asked that? What are you having for dessert? Um, and uh, she said, oh, son, I'm so glad that you talked. Um, I, I made your favorite brownies and ice cream. Oh, mom, that's so good. And they fixed some. And right as he was about ready to dig in, dad said, listen, son, just hold on just for a second. The only thing I'm going to tell you, 
He said, son, those, are, those brownies, they smell good. They smell unbelievable. He said, but listen, I just want you to tell you, I just took a little bit of dog poop and put in there. And he said, but it's not really going to mess up anything. The kid looks at daddy. He said, but dad, a little bit of dog poop ruins the whole brownie. What'd you do that for? I understand, dad. See, a little bit has a way of ruining everything. A little bit of bad, doesn't, good doesn't overtake it. What happens, a little bit of bad has a way of messing up. A little, bit of, a little bit of yeast has the way of spreading through the whole batch of dough. A little bit can corrupt an awful lot. See, what sin does and false teachings do is they separate us from God. And then it leads to multiplication, which exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to multiply. He wants it to spread. He wants sin to spread like a cancer. He wants us to believe that really sin isn't that big of a deal. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to live and say, a little dab isn't that bad. And I want to tell you today, it's important for us, if you're going to run the race with freedom, it's important for you to understand that sin has a way of destroying you. And if you're living in unconfessed sin in your life, it needs to be dealt with. If you're in a married relationship and you're flirting around over here with this other chick, you need to break that off. Are you stupid? What's going on? If you're a female and you're in the exact opposite type of a situation, what are you doing playing with fire? Listen, if you're involved in internet pornography or you're reading some stuff that you shouldn't be or you're taking your little iPhone and you're reading some stuff and watching YouTube videos, don't you think... The Lord knows exactly what's going on in your lives, guys. Get rid of that stuff. Take it off. Take it off. Get rid of it. Deal with it. If you're experimenting and you're experimenting with sex outside of marriage, maybe you're, you're young and maybe, maybe you're a teenager and you think, well, it's not really that big a deal. Everybody else is doing it. Or you're experimenting with drugs or you're experimenting with something else that's dangerous, it's sinful. Stop it. Stop it. Don't do it. Um, you know, if you're being dishonest, you have a trouble, you have a problem telling the truth, come clean. I was telling a guy the other day, I said, listen, it's what I've always heard. Sin takes us further than we want to go. Makes us stay longer than we want to stay. And it'll require us to pay a whole lot more than what we want to pay. That's what sin does because it wants to destroy us. So not only we need to recognize the obstacles, but we need to remove the obstacles to Jesus. And so how do we do that? We don't compromise. We don't compromise. No compromise. There's a story in, in 1 Samuel when, when Samuel goes, the prophet goes to, to Saul, and he tells Saul, he said, listen, he said, I want you, the God has instructed me to tell you that, that you're to go and you're to kill all the Am, um, Amalekites because of the burden and the wickedness that they've placed on the Hebrew people. And so Saul goes off and he defeats them all. But instead of wiping them all out and getting rid of everything, what he did is he took a little bit of the best that was there and he brought it back to the camp. And he also spared not only the best of the livestock, but he also spared the king. Samuel found out what had taken place and he went to see Saul. He said, didn't God tell you to destroy everything? And Saul said, yes, but I saved the best so that I could sacrifice to God. And Samuel says, God desires obedience more than sacrifice. See, more than, more than you taking off your hat at a time of prayer, God desires obedience. Obe more than you putting money in the offering plate, God desires obedience. 
more than you showing up every Sunday morning and being able to brag about your attendance, God desires obedience. Obedience. Because those things don't save us. It's only Jesus Christ that saves us. You know, it's funny because if you go back, Samuel ended up and said, listen, I'll finish what you didn't finish. And he goes back and he takes care of everything. But if you go back and you read the story, this is what you'll find out. You know who killed Saul? An Amalekite did. There's also a story in the book of Esther that we'll learn about this guy by the name of Haman who wanted to destroy the Hebrew people. You know who Haman was? He was an Amalekite. And the truth is this, we cannot delay in dealing with the sin of our lives. So man, if there's something that's going on in your life right now and you're, you're a Christ follower and you're in this journey of faith, one of the things you need to understand is what will rob you from that freedom is unconfessed sin. Recognize the sin. Ask the Lord to reveal it to you and get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus, some of the uh, places we see where Jesus speaks to the Pharisees very harshly, but here he speaks to the church. And when I think about the church, I also think about us as individuals. And this is, this is what it said. I wish you either hot or cold, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That means I will vomit you unless you didn't understand what that meant. I will vomit you. And when we vomit, something has made us sick. Something is disgusting to us. We've eaten something that's bad or there, we've been poisoned and that's why we vomit. And the reason that Jesus gives us this rebuke and he speaks to the church this way is because he says, I want you to understand. I want you to understand what sin does. It separates you from me, but it also is a hindrance in somebody else coming to know Christ. Because you know why? You're a billboard. And when you're out in the city, you're a billboard for Christ. You're a billboard. You're a billboard. Every one of us in this room are a billboard for Christ. Those of us that are on that journey of Christ, are on that journey of faith, those of us that have accepted Christ, we are a billboard. And believe it or not, people are looking at us. People are looking at us. And we're for apathetic about our relationship with the Lord, and there's no passion there. Wow. What Jesus was saying is, you're disgusting to me. You're disgusting to me. You're disgusting to the one who gave his life for you. Don't go there. No compromise. I'm not going to finish up because of time, but this is what I want to go back and remind you. If you're on the journey of faith, as Paul was speaking to them there, there were several things that he, were, he said to them about staying on course. Again, number one, don't try to get right or stay right by works. Number two, remember that self, um, self-righteousness doesn't do anything but alienate us from God. Third thing, know God and trust him. And how do we stay on course and stay free? Yield put him in the driver's seat. What that means is, God, not my will, but your will be done. And Mike, that's what I believe that you said. God, this is what I want to do. But Lord, I sense you doing something. And as a result, God, if that's what you want to do, I'm going to put you in the driver's seat. You're in the driver's seat. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take a step back and God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you. Even though I don't understand it, I'm going to trust you. And we're going to recognize the obstacles to Jesus, the false teachings and the sin. And we're going to say to ourselves, no compromise. If you're a Christ follower today and you're on the journey of faith, that should be our motto. No compromise.
No compromise. No compromise. Um, if you're not on the journey of faith today, my question is, what keeps you from making that decision to follow Christ? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for this day. And Lord, um, I want to be like Paul in my life. Father, I want to be like Paul that says, I fought the fight, I finished the race, and I've been faithful. I want to stay on course. I don't want to get sidetracked by somebody running in front of me and, and me looking at them instead of keeping my eyes on you. Father, I don't want to get sidetracked um, just by a bunch of more religious activities. Father, I want to keep my eyes on you. Father, if there are people here that other followers of Christ, I pray that you'd help us stay on that journey. Let us not become self-absorbed with what we're doing or what not we're doing, but Father, us to find faith, us to find confidence in what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Father, for those of us that are Christ followers, the thing that sort of trips us, us, trips us up, up is, is those things in our life that are unconfessed sins. And Lord, if there, are pe if there are people that are here today that are Christ followers that have that unconfessed sin, even today would they go before you and ask for forgiveness? And would they say to themselves, no compromise, no compromise. I'm reminded of your word, Father, and what it says in 1 John 1 time, that if I go to you and if I confess my sins, if I'm, if I'm like the tax collector that we read about in Luke chapter 18, that if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me of those sins and to cleanse me. If there are believers here today that need to do that, would they even do that? And Father, for the person here that's been trying to run this race, trying to earn their way to heaven, may we realize today that it's not by anything that we do that makes us more acceptable to you. What makes us acceptable to you is what your son Jesus did on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So if there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ, would they be bold enough even this morning to come see me afterwards and say today, I wanted to make a decision to trust Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this day and for all of our people that are scattered around all over the place on vacations. Father, I pray for their safety. I pray for them pray that you keep them safe. I'm excited about this group of believers and what you're doing. Father, help us to just become more Christ-like. And as we walk out these doors every week to leave, uh, to, to walk out these doors with the intent of living a legacy of faith. Be with us now as we go. Thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.